Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast. It's Brandon Kelly. Brandon, what's going on, Bob? How are you? I am okay. It's a little bit of a rainy day here in Chicago, but uh, I am managing to hang in there, persevere, as they say. And uh, Yeah, really. Got it in and out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, unlike most days, I don't get to go spend my time amongst all, all sorts of strangers packed into various great white shows or, um, you know, um, uh, Smash Mouth concerts or um, hey now. bars and grills in uh, in Atlanta. Today, because it's raining, I'm going to just sit inside all day. That's a good idea, you know, just uh, just wait it out. That's right. A little bit. One day, one day this rain will pass and we'll be able to... Go outside, eat outdoors, eat indoors. Mm. One of my favorite parts of human evolution, eating indoors. <laughs> it's like, hey, we eat indoors. Now all of a sudden people want to eat outdoors. Yeah. You know? Well, that's how I feel about camping also. Uh, but, you know. I never liked camping either. Yeah, it's it's just spitting in the face of all your ancestors that went through hell and high water to get us all sorts of great things i mean you know like it's like you know what would be better than this sleeping under a roof oh you know what would be better if we made floors so we weren't just walking around on the fucking sticks and rocks and shit all the time and then like we put a door on it so uh you know bears don't come in and just eat our shit and like including our faces and and we'll have a little box full of like uh our perishable food items that will stay cold. And we can even temperature control the actual air inside this domicile. And people were like, you know what I'd like to do? Let's see, fuck, fuck all that. Fuck all those things that you've worked so hard for. Because I want to go outside and pretend that I'm one with something that really has no interest in me being one with it. I will say that I do have um, all of my, all the doors in my home are zippers, so I, I do I do subscribe well, to that lifestyle. That makes sense because I've noticed that your pants all have little tiny doors <laughs> in the front of them. Yeah, I like to leave the door open. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. well, thank you all for joining us this week on on Road to the Skeleton Coast. We thank you all for those lovely reviews you've been leaving, and uh, thank you for subscribing and following on your podcast players. We have a Patreon. It's so awesome. It is called Better Sandwich, and you can go to patreon.com slash better sandwich and hang out with... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh... Brendan, me, and uh, and our friends, Tim Brown, Velway. Yes, just on the show this you week. Said Tim Brown, he he uh, he had some great things to say about uh, the nature of taking too much weed um, or THC, I suppose, and um, also Star Wars versus Star Trek. Um, if, if those are if those are things that interest you. You will love our Patreon. It's true. And if those things are things that don't interest you, it's still just nice to be in the flow of conversation, you know? Just just rapping. Just rapping. Just vibing. 
So uh, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We got conversations over there with all sorts of folks like Tim and Garrett from Red City Radio, Brian Fallon, Chris Number 2, Tom May, Matt Allison, and a host of others. That's right. Hanging out over there. Also, just like some, you know, sometimes Brennan and I are just like, God, this, this hangout sesh is so good. Let's just turn our microphones on and then we just, we just spitball a little bit and just throw those up there. That's right. That's right. We do. Um, and those are some of the best ones to honestly, cause it's like, it's like, I forget that the microphones are even there. That's right. You feel like you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, it's just it's the best patreon.com slash better sandwich uh it's seven bucks a month for the coolest audio content on the planet and we had some patrons ask us some questions about the first half of o calcutta and i figured rather than just dive right into the second half why don't we look back a little bit some of the questions that we had from our patrons uh, Brandon, if that if that's okay with you, I would be more than happy to field any questions that anyone might have. Well, Frank Corver is uh, wondering about the haze at the end of Beyond the Embarrassing Style, and I'm beyond embarrassed to for, to have to say that I forgot about those haze and asking like same question Frank's got like what's up with those haze. Um. I think a lot of it had to do with just the vibe of that part. And um, my bass line, which is... Right? And it's like kind of got that like early rancid kind of vibe to it a little bit. And as I've mentioned many times, this album was all about like tipping our hat to all of our influences and stuff like that and that early rancid stuff i mean don't get me wrong that is like a like if fucking matt freeman is playing that baseline he's doing it in preschool you know but um <laughs> it's still like uh it's it, it just it had that feel it was like the the tempo and the feel of everything and we were just like let's throw some fucking rancid like first album haze on there that would be cool and um it's really just about as simple as that and I don't know. I think they felt they sounded kind of tough. I did listen back, and I was like, those haze are a little bit weird now. But, I mean, I think they've, like, aged into weirdness because people don't do haze anymore. Um, at the time, totally. they didn't seem totally out of place. Yeah, I, it felt like um, it felt like a very deliberate type of hay. And I think that it's funny because I think that th- those haze have also always kind of reminded me of, like, like early like Super Nintendo games, like Street Fighter 2, you would hear the soundtracks, and th- those haze sounded like they could have been pulled from that space. Right, well, um, there are me and Chris and Neil, and um, who else did the backing vocals on this? Um, uh, Rich Gill, who's our tour manager for a while, and Dan Schaefer, um who is in Screeching Weasel as well as the Methadones. Um, mm-hmm. he, he did some singing. And then... I don't Marcus know, Kretzman. Marcus Kretzman. He did Italian some Italian poet. Yep. And uh, I do believe that there was a woman involved as well. Um, 
Well, we had uh, Jenny Choi on cello, which I'd been meaning to ask. Where's their cello on Oh Calcutta? It's uh, the very beginning of um, Requiem Revisited. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but I, I felt like there was a woman in there for the for the haze and for like any of the gang vocals, um, mm-hmm. most of which we haven't really gotten to yet. Um, they, most of the stuff that that group of people came in to do was all in the second half of the record. But mm-hmm. yeah, they did, they did a lot of stuff. It was pretty fun. Uh, Tanker Lutz had a question about the title beyond the bar- the embarrassing style. Uh, is that a reference to something in particular? No, it was like I said last week. It, we were talking about somebody who was just like mm-hmm. some like coked up dildo, and we were talking about how ridiculous they looked. And then, yeah, Chris said, "No, but it's it's." Like, I was making fun of his clothes, and he's like, no, it's beyond the uh-huh. embarrassing style, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, and then I started laughing, and I was like, that's got to be a song title. <laughs> uh, and Tut Beamer posed a theory that I liked, uh, asking if there might be a connection between the narrators in Quincent Tuple Your Money and in... Uh, and in uh, reco- recovering the opposable thumb. Dear mother, there's a letter at my mother's house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they're both me, so there's that. Um, but no, I, I, um, I think that just the visceral notion of, um, well, first of all, obviously, like a mother losing a child or a mother hearing anything from like the front lines of any sort of battle be it like literal or metaphorical um, is just like a really like, it's just like a, it's ripe with uh, emotional sort of mm. resonance. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, so it's more just like something that I guess I've used a couple of times in like parts that I wanted to like pump up the um, emotional significance of. But mm-hmm. I have never considered that it was the same mother or the same son. Uh-huh. You know? I love fan theories. Brennan Kelly Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but really, patreon.com slash better sandwich if you want me to read them. Uh, yeah. So, side two. I, this is like a little bit of an overworked metaphor. I know. But. Side A, we're calling it maybe Saturday night. Definitely flip that record over. We got Sunday morning on Jumping the Shark right here. Oh, was Jumping the Shark first? I thought it was going to be... Okay. Um, Yeah, well, this is definitely a Sunday morning coming down kind of song. You know, uh, I don't know. I think it kind of speaks for itself. It's uh, definitely... This was one of the first songs I wrote for the record. This was before I broke my knee. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, again, I think it's kind of self-explanatory. It's, it's a little bit about killing yourself to live, man. And, uh, <laughs> and how, like, sometimes you just got to power through. You, you know, I think that's, uh, 
I think that the, probably the main metaphor for this is a little bit more stupid than it comes across. I think it is um, trying to artfully render the idea that sometimes you're really hungover and you just got to keep drinking. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like oh, at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Um, and, and it's like uh, because, you know, like with the hangover, with the sober dawn of Sunday, to quote Tim Casher, comes like that realization that you've been like fucking up everything right and like and and it's and it's like this this is more like nah i'm not i'm not gonna entertain these thoughts right now i'm fucking out of here i've got time for that shit yeah yeah it's like you you need that bloody mary and maybe like the follow-up can of uh tecate that once that gets through you you're like oh okay cool yeah yeah then you're ready human to, then you're ready to start drinking again you know yeah totally you get <laughs> yeah. a, you get a good 30 minutes in there of feeling like a real person and then uh-huh yeah uh-huh. <laughs> i mean you know it's funny uh thinking about this i don't think i've ever actually thrown up in a sink before maybe when i was a little kid i think i threw up a toasted cheese sandwich in a sink but um i have well good for you freshman year of college baby oh nice. I, I had no stomach i mean i never had a stomach uh that's the that's the thing about it but yeah i uh really really went hard uh, Thursday night keggers over at 33 floor away in normal Illinois. I, it was definitely before midnight and I was thrown up in the sink. It was fantastic. I remember one time I was at a party. It was either in high school or in college. I feel like it was in high school. Cause I feel like by college I kind of had my shit together a little bit better than this, but, um, I was definitely waiting in line for the bathroom and this girl that I liked was in line right behind me and I got into the bathroom and all of a sudden I think it was like the change of lights or whatever made me like ooh, oh no and I went to like go barf and I just barfed all over like the toilet tank and like behind the toilet uh-huh. and so into all the little crevices and nooks and crannies where you like uh you know, where the toilet seat attaches and stuff like that. And this was definitely in high school because it was like a parent's house because I remember there was some sort of potpourri thing. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. a hasty cleanup job <laughs> that I had to sort of perform. And it was like purely cosmetic. Um, I'm, I'm sure that that parent mm-hmm. came home and was like, um, there's vomit in my potpourri dish, you know. But, uh, but I, you know... Cleaned it up as fast as I could, and then I said something to the effect, "Wow, somebody must have thrown up in there." And <laughs> you know, did you actually, you actually let it? She, the the other person believed you. It wasn't you, so you're not like sweating. Mm, I mean, I don't know. I'm always sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's really <laughs> much of a tell at this point. Um, but uh, no, I can't. I can't say I recall. That I remember the bathroom and the barfing, 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'd eat like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't want to get into like gross bodily function stuff, but, uh, I tried, I tried, I tried to make them believe me. Hey, that's sometimes that's all you can do. Just try that's, your best. That's right. That's right. Um, so uh, the title, uh, it's a pretty well understood term now, but I think it's worth pointing out that 2006, the the idea of jumping the shark, I think, was still kind of catching on culturally. I remember jumpingtheshark.com being one of those early websites that uh, sort of like e-bombs world where you could go and like people would vote on when did a show like jump the shark. Right. This was a term coined by John Hine, who's a TV maniac. He also has a book about fast food called Fast Food Maniac. <laughs> um, and he invented the term. He did jumpingtheshark.com, and it led him to becoming a staffer on the Howard Stern show. Um, ah. Yeah. And uh, to where he still is to this day. Way to go. God, that's mm-hmm. got to be a comfy gig. I feel like if you're if you're set with him, you're set for life, right? Uh, I feel like it's not for everybody. I think that like um, if you can deal with someone being like, wow, you're getting really fat. Um, and your wife, yeah. she's very beautiful. You know, I'd bang her. What a, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like how, what? Do you not look <laughs> down at your disgusting belly and just feel terrible for your poor wife? It has to deal with your tiny penis. You know, I mean, things of that nature. If you can handle that kind of thing every day or, like, people just constantly backstabbing each other and throwing them under the bus just in order to get on the air and have, like, make great content, you know? So it's like you have, like, a grumpy morning and you come in and you're like, don't say hi to somebody. And then all of a sudden it's like, Tim, get in here. So I hear you didn't say hi to JD this morning. What's up? What's up with that? And then... You're just like, I don't know. I just was tired. And then it's like it it won't be allowed to be let go. So, I mean, and I don't think that those people make, like, a dick ton of money either. I think we know, like, where all the money goes in that show. Uh-huh. Um, it's not <laughs> it's not to those, like, random jack-offs that happen to be, like, the media supervisor who Howard pulls in to become, like, content grist mills on his show. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in fact, I think they make very little money. Um I mean, they, they so it doesn't do, trickle down. I don't get it. They probably do fine, but like, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think working on the Howard Stern show would be amazing. I'm a huge fan, but um, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't even know that it's for me. I would just like I couldn't say <laughs> I couldn't say no. Like I think I'm too sensitive for it. But what are you gonna do? Well, you you endure my berating. Uh, oftentimes I'm saying very similar things to you. That's true. Um, so, like, how did this song come to be? Because if it's coming out early in this batch, it's pretty different from uh, the previous output. Yeah, so this one, I was sitting, I was over at Danny's house. Danny Andreano, who's on our Patreon also. He's also in the Alkaline Trio. And he fronts um the, and this is such a crazy coincidence. Danny Andreano and the emergency in the emergency room, which I mean it's like the party he was born to play. 
But uh, so I was over at Dan's house, and uh, he was sitting around playing. We were playing the guitar together, which is not something that like we usually like sit down and do. I mean, and I think we were just really like drinking beer and fucking around, and he started playing these chords that were just slightly, ever so slightly different from like my usual mode of like four chords. It like. Mm-hmm. And he started going, do, 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 or something like that. And I was like, I want to steal those chords. I'm going to write a song. I could write a cool melody over that, you know? I mean, I mean, Dan's just fucking around and he uses weird chords all the time, but mm-hmm. I sort of like put a light bulb in my head or whatever. And so I got home and. I tried to do the beginning exactly like he was playing it when we were just sitting around. And so it had that kind of like staggery, like off balance sound to it. Mm-hmm. And when I was trying to sing to it, um, I realized that it would be best served in my like more like clean register. Mm-hmm. That was back before it became so low and like, guttural like it is now but uh yeah um but then so those words were just like sort of a natural offshoot of that so it started with that and then i think this song might have been one where i wrote it like as it went along which is very unusual for me because i started with the beginning and I wrote those lyrics. And then I remember getting to like, I think I just like started, just kept playing and I would try to go back and remember what I had sang, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like writing the lyrics first, but I was writing the lyrics and the music at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like sort it was like, it was like catching an improv wave and then just like rewinding it and being like, okay, this would be better. And then, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how this song came to be. Which, like, I always thought that, like, the the chorus, this, that, tonight, tonight, I'm walking away. I was like, this is one of those ones. I was like, is this too cheesy? I mean, this is, like, kind of obvious, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I think that ultimately my thought was that if the song surrounding it was, like, bleak enough that it would anchor that chorus and save it from like the cheese dickitude or whatever you want to call it. I believe that's the <laughs> scientific term. Um, it had to have like come to life pretty well with the band. Yeah. That was the other thing that like, um, when we did it, I remember we were all like, well, I did not expect that. <laughs> you know, like I definitely remember that for sure. Like the first time we played this song, maybe more than any other song on this record, because some of the other ones, the acoustic versions were like fairly, you could just tell what they were going to be, you know, like at this mm-hmm. point we had, we knew, we knew each other fairly well. And it was like, oh yeah, man, fucking cut it up sounds really muscly and tough whereas with the acoustic guitar it sounds kind of like wimpy but it's like Mm -hmm. it's like a better version than what we thought this one really 
came to life and it was like, oh, I didn't expect that at all. Mm-hmm. You know? So Totally. Um, I We had a lot of questions about the line, I'd like to go back to Chicago. Yeah. Well. Because um, you live in Chicago? I do. So. I think. I live, in, I live people... in Chicago and I would, but more realistically i was living in a van you know uh-huh and like the idea was like basically like i don't know it like it's kind of like a dream like fugue state thing really because like in the very beginning when i say i just threw up in the sink i imagined like not even the house i was living in at the time but like the house that chris and i used to live in you know, I wrote that down. Um, uh, the one with Steve, the fungus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the sink I was kind of imagining. And then, but by the time we get to, I'd like to go back to Chicago, but I'm not going back there again. That's more just representative of like, like I'm on tour. I feel sick. I'm hungover. I wish I was at home. But no, you know, tonight's Bozeman, Montana, or whatever the fuck it is, you know? Yeah. And then and then the next part is just, like, more of, like, a, um, a reflection on youth and a reflection on, like, just, I think, self-flagellation more than anything. I think, I think it can be, like, read all as one thing, but... If I'm really digging into like what the nitty gritty of it is, it's like, uh, mm. you know, I fought with all my teachers, I fought with all my friends, I fought with the vices, the sweating, and the shakes. I'm not going back there again. I don't think that means that I feel any regret about any of those things. It's like I refuse to feel regret about any of those things, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, and I don't know. I guess maybe I kind of see it as a, and this is like total fucking maybe revisionist history. I mean, this, you know, I can't, I can't tell you exactly what I was thinking long ago, but like, if I was to try to parse it now, I would say something like, uh, well, I can't go back to Chicago, but you know what? There's a lot of bullshit there too. And I'm not dealing with that shit either. Uh Like, I, I feel like that, I feel like that's pretty accurate, but it would be disingenuous of me to be like, that was my intentionality when I wrote this, because again, I was kind of like writing it, writing the words and the music all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot less thought going into it than I'm maybe ascribing to it now. Um, song, I think really tips the hand of the second side, which has a lot of songs that are saying things like, I don't want to hear about old days. What are we doing today? This, especially the second side of the record, but I think the whole thing is really just like a, I don't give a shit about what history says. I don't give a shit about like what, you know, it's almost like you're subverting the ideas of, you know, you're, you're cripping from all of these like bands that are held in a high echelon. Um, that's really only like reserved for people of history. And you're trying to stake your, your place. And, it's shoving shit to the side a little bit, right? 
Well, yeah, I think the idea is like, uh, what's the album that we wanted to hear back in the day? Mm-hmm. You know, that w- what was the album missing from our catalog? From our, our collection, rather. Mm-hmm. And whether or not this was like overtly expressed, with that comes a little like, all right, step aside, Grandpa. I'm going to show you how it's done. You guys couldn't write this record. We're going to do it for you. And it's like, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. Like, where, where are you at now? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. um, and like, I, I mean, obviously now I'm like, now I'm the grandpa. Ha ha ha. Funny. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I still believe that it's like the, and, and I think it was also very much a rejection of like any preconception about our band. You know what I mean? Like it, it was just like mm. we're not going to sit on the laurels of like greatest story ever told. I mean, not that there are any, <laughs> yeah. But like, but like it, it's like no, we're moving forward, you know. And like the idea of <sighs> hero worship and veneration or wh- or whatever, that's fine. But the idea of like living in your own past, or you telling me that like you used to be somebody, or me respecting you even though you're an asshole because you did something cool back in the day um so i don't care like if you're, yeah. if you're a dick to me today you're a dick to me today and mm-hmm. you, you know like like I, this is kind of f- fucked up but i don't know i don't have any like really bad feelings towards any of these people so i feel comfortable telling this story mostly because i don't know them very well but like we're at new york and um i think it was me and chris definitely me and sean nader um we ended up hanging out with cinder from tilt and she's like i'm gonna blow your mind and then she took us to this bar and it was uh called manitobas she's like i'd like you guys to meet the the handsome dick manitoba and i'm like oh hey nice to meet you and Mm -hmm. uh he's like hey what the fuck kind of hey what's going on here and she you know and then she's like um i I guess he was in a band i don't even see this is this is where i'll get in real trouble because this is like the kind of punk punk rock history that i should know but i don't he was in a band called like (laughs) handsome dick in the manitobas or some shit like that and okay. uh th- they're like apparently this very important old punk band and she's like yelling at us because we like don't know who he is and i'm like but like i hardly know who you are i i don't i don't know what you're talking about like this is crazy <laughs> like, right. like like i i have the vaguest idea of tilt um uh which is cool cool band and like Mm-hmm. Okay, handsome dick in the Manitobas are an old punk band. Okay, but I don't know them. I, I definitely am not like looking to be uh, disciplined for not <laughs> just not knowing something, you know. Right. You know, but like, but I think that she was like, "Oh, these guys are gonna freak out when you come," you know, because I bet handsome dick in the Manitobas or whatever the fuck their band was called. I mean, this is like probably infuriating to some of you. I'm sorry. Um, it was probably very important to her and we probably embarrassed her by not knowing who he was. So, you know, he was like ready to like kind of get a little bit of like glory days 
fucking praise from us. We didn't know who he mm-hmm. was. He was bummed out. He kind of like was like shitty to us as a result because she had said something, but she just thought she, we, she was going to blow our minds. So then she was mad at us. You know, and, and it was just like, and I, again, I really don't think either of them were in the wrong. I think they were both like, you know, um, fine, but it definitely led me into a, I, I don't care what you've done. You either you're like chill to me right now or we're mm-hmm. not friends like that. You know, it, it was just like, it was one of those like kind of like life moments where I was like, Oh, totally. you know, and I can't stress enough under the circumstances. I think they both were pretty chill, but it's still had that same energy, you know, it's got like I, pay I harbor- your dues, right? Yeah, well, I harbor no ill will towards either of them, and I don't think either of them probably even remember who I am at this point. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, def- definitely it just really calcified in my mind the idea that, like, you can't just sit there and expect everyone to remember some shit you did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and that's, again, that's no knock on either of them. But uh, it's it it just was like I don't know it was a it was a big life moment for me. Yeah, I like that. It's it, I think that that's uh, kind of the only way that shit progresses. Really, you gotta you gotta leave what came before you behind to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the end of this. Let's drink to the death of regret. Um, That strikes me as a line that might be like, is this too much? No. No, I think that when I wrote it, I already had that like back and forth that me and Chris do in there. Mm -hmm. Like the, you know, like, we got the whole city before us tonight, tonight I'm walking away, you know, like that back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then when it was, let's drink to the death of regret. I was like, Oh, if I repeat of regret over and over again, this changes everything. Like it just like tonally shifts the entire vibe of what's happening here. And, uh, so, um, so I actually felt pretty decent about that um, in terms of, although you're right, it is, it is like got like a cheese flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's, it's cheese adjacent for sure. But I just felt like the, everything's cheesy as shit if you deliver it poorly. Right. Like, can, can you imagine smash, smash mouth singing, no woman, no cry. Like it would be terrible, <laughs> you know, um, like doing their own instrumentation and melody to it. No woman, no cry, no woman. <laughs> yeah, it, it wouldn't be that good. Might you know? as well be walking on the sun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh, yeah, th- when you say that, it, it it really does. I don't know, my mind was just immediately like, oh, yeah, those repetitions add this, like, 
you're not leaving anything behind here. Like those those of regret repeats sound regretful. They sound they sound fueled by regret. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, isn't that the uh, Ouroboros that is the Lawrence Arms, right? You know, right. we're uh, constantly feeding ourselves with that, which kills us. Um, <laughs> beautiful. So, thing. lose your illusion. One. Um, next to Great Lakes, Great Escapes is probably my favorite Chris song on this record. The movements and the verses are fantastic, and it's wild how like it takes up until that all that shit it means nothing for things to actually like settle down a little bit, and then it picks right back up. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a great one. This is another one actually a lot like jumping the shark that is when we started playing it just because that movement is so weird in the intro like mm-hmm. the way that the chords shift i mean it's not like shellac or anything but it's you know it's right. an odd time to change the chords um and so it just sounded kind of a little bit on the demo like chris was I don't want to say fucking up, but like, what are you, what are you doing here? I don't totally mm-hmm. get it. And then we came in and was like, oh, this is like, got this like very like overhand kind of vibe to it, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and, and it, it, uh, it's just so muscly. And then like the, the verses themselves are like, I, they're just like a showcase for Neil Hennessy. Really? I mean, he's just going it's fucking enormous. crazy, yeah. In those in those verses, and uh, it's funny. Like in the in the first verse when he says, "You know, don't recreate the scene," that is something that like everybody thinks I do in the first verse, but I don't. The 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 callback, uh huh. You know, um, that's always um, everybody sings it in the first in the first one. It's almost like a like one of those like Neil Diamond things where it's like everybody's singing something that's not there. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, but then the Chris Chris has said, and well, I'm going to say it now. I think it's probably fine. It's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> but the, the all that shit. This means nothing. Part is um, the longest line by No Effects. Exactly. So much oh, so but- that he was afraid when Mike got to this song like uh-huh. he was listening to the record he was like oh god he's gonna totally see it but I mean it's you know in the darkest tunnel it's nice to see a light not just a headlight mm-hmm. but the one that's headed right for me bam, bam. <laughs> it's exactly the same I mean which is a rich tradition on this album right you know it's like it's that sort of like homage to the elders you're eating or whatever mm-hmm. um <laughs> so the first the first time like when i say i doubled that up with like also like that clean voice that i sing in but it's kind of like like again it's much higher than mm-hmm. it is now um i really was excited about getting the opportunity to do that you know just because I don't get to sing like that very often. It was just like, yeah, it felt like a real cool way to spread my wings a little bit. I think it's, I think it's a cool development in your 
catalog because you you come in with this voice that's so copped from old Robbie Takeak and then the the development that I think really starts here of you like finding your voice and working that and like developing it as an instrument is always cool to me because it's like it's a different type of type of satisfaction that you express when you talk about this shit yeah well i mean it's just it's like uh it's like if i was like a fucking real estate magnate and i was like yeah and then you know when i bought this hotel suddenly i could buy a whole nother chain of hotels you know it's like it like doubled doubled my inventory in terms of what my my output could be Mm -hmm. um and and that is that is really exciting to me like as like a artist or whatever the artist adjacent person Uh you want to call me um uh so yeah it's like every time that something like this like found a little bit of success on a record i've always been like Oh yeah, I could keep doing. That. I mean, and obviously now it's like I put out whole records that are where I sing mm-hmm. clean. Although now it's not clean anymore, even when it's clean. So right, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, there's that line, "I'm lonely like a lazy weekend." It's one of those things that that pops up that it takes a little bit of time for you to really let it sink in, like years and years of um just like those passages where you're kind of looking forward to a weekend or a time off and then you're just like fuck about halfway through it sucks feel bad yeah, totally totally it's like your family goes out of town and you're like fuck yeah i'm just gonna sit around and watch tv and then it's like four o'clock and you're like well yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say i'm bored because i'm horribly lonely it sounds a little bit wimpy right now but <laughs> but yeah it's um yeah no it's a it's a great it's a great illustration of um the midas the you know king midas rule or whatever mm-hmm. you get what you, you get what you want and then it sucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally um requiem revisited so we've got the title is a reference to naked ray gun uh soldiers requiem the first song on jettison a terrific song by a terrific band on a terrific album a kind of overlooked naked ray gun album in my opinion i think jettison gets left off um i think i'm gonna actually do this right here on the podcast i'm gonna go to spotify my um my choice for stealing music soldiers requiem it is the biggest song by naked ray gun on spotify by well over six hundred thousand listens well, it's good. I'm glad Naked Raygun got three hundred dollars. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, they didn't get it like all. T- they got it probably in the form of like, you know, forty-eight nine, cent checks, nine hundred three cent checks. Yeah, um, but 
But yeah, no, I think I think um, it's just it is it is a popular song. It might the record itself is definitely obscure. It's got a lot of great songs on it though. The Mule is one of um, mm-hmm. Chris and my favorite Naked Ray Gun songs. We there's like there's just something about some of those fucking bizarre Naked Ray Gun songs, like The Mule and is if you listen to it you can hear its influence on this album i mean not like you can hear <laughs> this song because this song is just soldiers requiem sped up yeah i mean uh and i mean i really tried to stay very true to the actual structure of that song for at least the first verse until like we bust into the part that sounds like the Lawrence Arms, mm-hmm. which is the bridge. But at the beginning of this, we'll knock back a few and talk about life under the Jenny Choi cello part. That's no means no again uh-huh. from that same song, Brother Rat. What Slade says. Uh, Highly annoying song there. Did you listen to it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that song's awesome. I am so mad that I have had at least two uh, people who have lived above or below me in apartments that really could have used uh, a listening party. That song with a speaker pressed up against a ceiling or floorboard. (laughs) Here we are. I'm a soon-to-be homeowner, and now what am I going to do? Well, well, I guess there's, I guess there's still hope. There's still hope. You could, that's right. Could always that's get right. kicked out of my home. Yep. I mean, if you if you try hard enough, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. What a weird ass song. That's so. I mean, good. can you explain this shit to me? Like, is that like that? That is some of the most you had to be there music that I've encountered. <laughs> well. I think that, like, me and Chris, and I mean a lot of people, like our friend Andre, Neil also, like, we all just love No Means No so much, and their brains are just so weird. And when you hear this song, it's just like, well, let's go out and see what we see. (laughs) Just you and me. You know, it's just, like, so perverse and bizarre, and you just, like, and it's, like, the whole instrumentation is a bass drum, and, and... I, yeah, maybe you have to be along for the ride already, but I think to us, we heard it immediately and we're like, yo, this is just awesome. And it's like, there's a part of it that's almost like Kaufman-esque in terms of like going to like a sweaty No Means No show in like 1991 or something and they're playing this and you're just mm-hmm. like, um... <laughs> that is this but it's also like it's really art and it's like it's comrade pal buddy friend comrade it's just so weird it reminds me of like if catch 22 was a song uh not the Scott mm-hmm. man the novel by joseph heller like it's it's like i don't know um but suffice it to say, I understand where you're coming from, but you're wrong. The song's actually awesome, and uh, <laughs> it was a huge, important influence on 
on us. And uh, so that's why we reference it twice on this record. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's funny because that description, I definitely heard it somewhere before. And I, I'm, I'm just wondering if you and my dad use the same source because when he talks about Frank Zappa, it's like the same shit. Well, I think that there's probably a lot of similarities between Frank Zappa and uh, No Means No, except for No Means No's not like, well, they are dorks. Um, <laughs> I know Frank Zappa's pretty cool, too. He's the only person that ever had a PMRC sticker put on an album that was instrumental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does do some cool shit. I don't know. All those songs about dog poo like all right <laughs> cool yeah i get it he's he's jazz um but yeah this song i i i really like the way that the song sits in the sequence too it's like this is such a this serves such a great function to this record in like its intention and also just the way that you drive this motherfucker because i think that there's something about you know, we talked about it a lot with 15 where it's like you lose a little bit when you're passing this on to, you know, generations that are later. And this is sort of like almost like covering uh, Naked Raygun, but it's original lyrics and it sounds fucking dope. And it's a lot harder. It's a burner for sure. I mean, this one was hard for us to play until we did riot fest uh i want to say 2016 um when we did o calcutta in its entirety we'd never played this live before because it's just like it's it's hard mm-hmm. you know like um <laughs> it's uh it's very like schizophrenic and crazy i mean i play this is one of the ones that i play acoustic Every time I play, because the acoustic mm-hmm. version really lends its it like really lends itself to an acoustic rendition, mm-hmm. but uh, which is, I guess, maybe on its face unusual, but because the song is so based in melody and stuff like that, and because it's so easy to to slow down and maintain the same melody and the same like sort of general vocal tempo, it makes it like a very unique version of the song, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, uh, so I like to play it all the time, but man, it's, it's hard to play with band just cause it is so just like, it's like, as soon as you know what part you're playing, you're playing another part. And then it's just like, and then it's another part, <laughs> you know? But, um, I really do. I I think actually this is one of. one of my like if i was ranking the songs on this record i'd put it near the bottom Mm -hmm. but the bridge and the outro if i was ranking parts on this record i would put right near the top yeah that's an interesting thought experiment because i think that there are a few songs on this record one of them we're about to get to where i think the outro is fucking so whip ass hey all right that's one um yeah this song it's it's fucking it's fun um and it seems it's like one of those songs that seems like very pointed 
um, in in the topic, uh, but it's also got this like universalis to it that I don't know. I I read lines like this heart is p- pumping blood harder than you know, and it's like yeah, I've I've fucking wanted to say that to uh, a few people in my life, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's take this that's job like, and that's... shove it. That's that's the part to me that I'm like, what the, you know, and it's funny because the song is like, obviously it's called Requiem Revisited, so it's like a, definitely a tribute to Soldier's Requiem, but the parts where I think it really shines are where it's like, steps out of that and becomes like a Lawrence Arm song, purely, mm-hmm. you know, and and like, I mean, Naked Raygun did all the hard work by writing the actual melody, <laughs> the chords, and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, like what I, you know, it's it's like we've talked about in the past. Like, it, there's got to be a little bit of an exercise in in writing something. You can't just if somebody if you sit somebody down that's like, and you're like, hey, I want you to create something for me. Okay, I create things. Yeah, what what do you want? It can be anything. It's like that's impossible. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, but if it's like, okay, I need something that fits in this box that will scare the shit out of grandmothers, but that granddaughters will think is fucking awesome. Then it's like, there's a problem to solve. Yeah. And there's like, there's parameters that you could like have to get around, you know, Mm -hmm. then you just put a little black guy in the box. Uh, (laughs) No, no good. Uh, <laughs> all right on now to quite possibly my favorite Lawrence Armstrong interesting I love Key to the City absolutely oh, this is Key to the City yes okay gotcha what did you think it yeah. was I thought it was Old Dogs Never Die ah that would be an interesting uh pick I have to say. But, yeah, no, Key to the City. That is second to last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Key to the City. Yeah, man, Key to the City. What can you say about Key to the City that uh, hasn't been said about your mom's vagina? It's bombed out and depleted. Or that hasn't been said about Afghanistan. I don't know. I don't remember how it goes. Oh, that's what it is. What can you say about uh Beautiful as mom's mom's vagina that hasn't been said about Afghanistan. It's bombed out and depleted. Nice, great. The so-called beautiful. Can we talk about the song that I'm really excited to talk, talk about now? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about life. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of the best song. It's crazy. Well, it's, I thought that this song wasn't going to be on the record because I liked Rabbit and the Rooster so much in terms of the acoustic demos and in terms of even the electric demos. I mean, it was really kind of a last-minute audible to put this on the record, but we were sitting there and, like, I guess since they're both my songs and we'd really settled on, like, what a track list was going to be, I kind of think it was my call to make mm-hmm. um i don't think i like but i i think i was like 
Do you guys think the key to the city is a little better than Rabbit and the Rooster and it like fit more? Like in turn it's got that like sort of like aqua line, like cut it up, devil's taking names, the recovering the opposable thumb kind of vibe, and it could like really sit at the back of the record and kind of hold it down in that way. And I think we were all like, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. But it really came together quite a bit in the studio Mm -hmm. um, in terms of everything. This is another one that all those people sang on. um, And uh, also Requiem revisited the the Mm -hmm. all those back and vocal people sang on that. And then they all sang on give me, give me, give me, give me, give me at the end Mm -hmm. of Key to the City. But yeah, this one's fun. It, It. we don't play it as much as a lot of the others on this record, but I mean, it has been a song in regular rotation, and it's it's always fun when we do it. Yeah, I mean, just with the this record whole, the whole thing feels like a proclamation. It's like you're crowning yourselves in a lot of way in ways, and you're. I don't know, you're just doing that shit that really only, like, athletes are kind of capable of, of just saying, like, I'm the best, and I'm going to prove it to you. And just the notion of, like, give me the key to the city. With a record about Chicago, it's just like, yeah, like, fucking take it. Like, go to that (laughs) extent to say, like, we are... I always read this as just, like, we're the best band here, which well, at that time is a fucking statement. That's um, a really cool reading of this song. I don't think it was totally my intent. I think the intent was more of like a um, sort of gutter dwelling. Like, if. I'll go anywhere I fucking please. Mm-hmm. I'll do whatever the fuck I want because, like, you know, you know what? Like, yeah, try to stop me. I'm just gonna walk down the street and I'm gonna do this again. Like, yeah. I, I basically have the key to this city already. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I got, I have nothing to wait for. I have nothing but time. I will sit here and wait for you to fucking leave, and then I will absolutely pull this other forty out of my backpack and drink it sitting right here. And then when your fucking shift replacement comes by and goes, hey, get out of here. I have nothing to wait for. I have nothing but time. So go ahead. Yell at me all you want. I'm going to be drinking right here. You know, like it's like you should give me the key to the city because I I got this shit on lock. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like I think the more intentionality of it. I think I like your version better. And um it's definitely a little more in line with like the sort of bombast that we started to employ when talking about our band um, after this record came out, you know, referring to ourselves as the best band of all time or the only cool band or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, by far mm-hmm. better than your favorite band or what, what, you know, any of the many things that we've said. Um, uh, and so I like that. And I, I guess that there's, I mean, there definitely is an arrogance in this song. I think it's more of an arrogance of the gutter than an arrogance of, like, the art world. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I prefer yours, I think. So, like, when you're um, when you're talking about, I, I guess, like, in the scene setting, 
like it feels very pulled from real life um i don't know where were you where were you getting shooed out of where where does this opening couple of verses take place um well it's not like that autobiographical in terms of like there was no like specific point where i was like sitting with a bunch of fucking people smoking speed and then like the cops came by and then we all walked down a block mm-hmm. and, you know sat down again but like that was like my entire adolescence and early existence in chicago i mean for one thing we were skateboarders you know we smoked weed we were drinking beer when we were underage you know like every time anybody saw us they'd be like hey no not mm-hmm. right here and a lot of times we would just end up sitting you know it'd be like hey this is the guy that bought us the 40s or you know this is the guy who we bought a 40 for uh-huh. or like these guys are like smoking crack and so they're fine with us sitting right here and mm-hmm. then like if the cops come we're clearly not with them so so it's gonna be fine like they're two like you know two dudes that look like joe exotic or whatever <laughs> and we're like 16 year old kids <laughs> you know it's like it's like yeah no we'll sit right by you yeah like four ounces, <laughs> i gotta tell you what's not gonna happen is uh, <laughs> we're not gonna get the brunt of this and we're also like young and athletic enough to like jump fences and stuff and you guys mm-hmm. really having trouble sitting on this parking block yeah uh, for example <laughs> what's your what's your go-to 40 ounce Go to forty. Um, I I mean, like I think I'd have to do like a a cold forty five or an old English just for the um, absolute cultural appropriation aspect of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because like like there's there's nothing totally genuine about like, and I I mean I didn't grow up in the suburbs, but I will even in this particular instance, lump myself in with suburban white kids, like drinking forties. It's like, totally. It's just such a like cosplay experience Mm -hmm. really more than anything. And I get it's cheap and everything. And like, I did live in the city and I did go to places where it was like the guy behind the counter spoke no English and you kind of got the feeling he didn't know. And so we could just buy forties and that would be like the fastest thing. And it would be one thing you could put in your backpack instead of having a bunch of cans. Mm-hmm. So there was like a tactile reason to be drinking forties back in the day. But at the same time, we're all drinking fucking forties because of ice cube and easy, eat. you know? Right. <laughs> like, like, right. And like, like I could, I could fucking run down the tactical reasons like a fucking scumbag Navy seal. But at the end of the day, it's because of ice cube and easy. Eat. That's, that's why we're all drinking forties. So, I'd have to do old English or Cold Forty Five, man. I'm a King Cobra fan myself. Yeah. Ooh, it's, it's thick. It is thick. It is thick. Saint Ides too. I got a soft spot for Saint Ides, and have always. I've been sober for six years. They have not made an O'Doul's forty ounce, and I think that that is a crime. <laughs> I would love a forty ounce. Of old O'Doul's, Sharps, any of the type. There's apparently an old Milwaukee NA that is exists somewhere, but I I never see it out in the wild. Yeah, it's got the blue can. I've seen that shit. You know the whole the whole thing. Um, when I was going to Saint, I admit it. 
Oh, I guess it's St. Ives. Never mind. It doesn't work. Mm. No. So, but do you know it? No. When I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. And like a flogging Molly w- song? The seven wives had seven kids. The seven kids had seven cats. The seven cats had seven kids. How many were going to St. Ives? I don't know, man. The number seven's crazy, though, if you think about it. It's everywhere. It's always it's always the one. Well, the answer is one. That's the first line. When I was going to oh. St. Ives. Ah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, <laughs> we you'll have... Tell, you'll tell somebody else that riddle someday soon. I would, yeah, sure, if you say so. Um, <laughs> this is something that you, talk, you talked to me about on uh, Better Yet when we did that. Speaking of, if you haven't subscribed to Better Yet, I know that there hasn't been anything coming out in a little while, but you might want to. I'm just saying... Um, we talked about this though, and it blew my mind because you, we talked about the second verse of key to the city and the way Chris comes in, let's gather our bones, our guts and our hearts and scream. So they'll hear us down in those parks. And then you just come in with ice cubes, inverted. What was it from? Um, that's um, from um, Parental Discretion is Advised. Hell yeah. On NWA's Straight Out of Compton. You're yeah. basically like inverting what he's, the way Chris is laying it down, right? Yeah, but like the thing is, so I wrote, I wrote both the parts and um, really the inversion is on Chris's part because it's mm-hmm. so like on the one it's it's a very unusual cadence for how you'd sing something. And mm-hmm. he definitely, like, when we play this song, he's like, oh, this fucking... Uh, you know, like, and he's just like, yeah, give me this fucking part. Which, I mean, <laughs> fair play. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember when I did the demo, it's very hard to sing and play at the same time. <laughs> um, but, uh... But what I wanted was, yeah, that kind of like dynamism and back and forth. And I wanted that part to be really staccato. And then I wanted to come in with something really, really fast. And I would have done it the other way, except for like, um, Chris has expressed a lot that like the way that I write songs, especially when it gets faster and faster, he's just like, you know, my, my brain and mouth and stuff don't work that way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that it's, like, too fast for him or, like, too weird for him. It's just, like, the way he thinks about things and the way I think about things are so different that he's like, has a really hard time. And I think if he was to write something that was really fast and I would try to, like, double it up, it would probably be the same thing, but in the opposite mm-hmm. direction, you know? Right. Um. So I was just like, okay, we're going to – this is going to be, like, and i was like well i so that's got to be me you know um just yeah i mean this is like this is it's up there for me it was just like some of my favorite like 
15 seconds of recorded music um and i i've never been able to keep up with it and it's just like a matter of I don't know. My my diction isn't good enough. I don't like. Well, I, I don't hit consonants well enough. That's what Chris is saying too. And like, uh, you know, my friend Jen from the Bomb Pop, she was like doing covers, and she's just like the way like she was like people were requesting that she do like a record player, which we'll get to eventually. Mm-hmm. She's like, just your the way you your cadence is so fucked up. I like how you can't. I can't do this, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize my cadence was fucked up. I, you know, like, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's like, it's in my head. It seems very normal to me. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's like athletic or out of the, like the realm of something anybody could do. But, you know, you hear it enough times and it starts to be like, oh, I guess like this part, you know, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like, you know, under those trees with the pigs that can crawl, there are bonfires and parties that are fucking down all. You give about an inch, you take about a mile. It's one for the beating, it's two for the trial. It's like seems so easy and straightforward to me. Yeah, but, but like, I think maybe What's it's a like to just excel. I would have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you if I ever meet somebody who does. <laughs> So the the words um, have to you can't have an extra syllable in here. So did you have to did you have to really like get in with these words to make them fit? No, man. Um, this is just like so. You know, I always write with a few exceptions, and I guess walking away or jumping the shark on this record mm-hmm. is one of them. Um, I always write the lyrics first and it, like in that is sort of like an innate understanding of whatever the sort of rhythm is going to be. And that doesn't mean that I know how the song is going to sound, but like mm-hmm. I always like stick to a certain meter, you know, mm-hmm. in my head, where, like where the rhymes come and like where the verse, like where the verse breaks and all that kind of stuff. And so this part just happened that I could sing it like this. Mm-hmm. It was not, it was like, so it was constructed. God, it would be so pretentious to say mathematically, but um, like it was constructed with like a sort of like quasi mm-hmm. lazy man's mm-hmm. mathematical element in mind. And, mm-hmm. and therefore there's a few treatments that could work for it. You know what I mean? And, um, and when I, was playing through this and all of a sudden I was like, oh fuck, we can just like, I can go through this in like one breath or whatever. It just seemed like the coolest way to, coolest way to do it, you know? But it wasn't, I mean, that intentionality came from recognizing that that was potential based on the stuff I wrote, but that I wrote it just in a journal Mm -hmm. with a very like sort of, um, paleolithic notion of rhythm and meter you know what does paleolithic mean oh it's a it's a it's like a a epoch you know it's a it's a it's an old ancient thing dinosaur i mean i might i think paleolithic might even like paleontologists yeah 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 i think i think that might even be like trilobites and shit it might be that long ago but mm-hmm. 
I just mm-hmm. mean that it was very rudimentary. I suppose I could have used a less like fucking pretentious word. I apologize. Yeah, you could you could put a metronome to this, like, and you would get the consonants and the vowels too, because it's yeah, dude, it's fucking oh yeah. But that's but that's but that's sort of the shit right there. Is like you could mm-hmm. put a metronome to this. You know, you could also do this. It could have been like under the streets where the pigs lurk and crawl. You know, like you could do yeah. it like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or, or like, <laughs> under the streets. You could do even do it like three, four. It could be like under the streets where the pigs lurk and crawl. There was a party lurk in them all. You know, like you, you could do it any number of ways as long as you just like adhere to like some sort of like when you're writing the words, you stick to whatever the meter is in your head and then you can try out whatever... Is there a lot of screaming going on in the background of my yeah. house right now? That's great. <laughs> um, I promise you. Uh, I promise nothing. I'm down here. This is this is the greatest plausible deniability I've ever had. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, we really going going for all the offensive things on this podcast today. Um, but uh, but yeah, as long as you stick to like the idea of a meter. Um, in your head, then you can try out like what, what else could like fit into that, and you know, see it like that. But so, so no, I didn't have this like fucking totally like slick ass hip hop. Uh, by the way, of Grimple, um, part in mind. It just so happened that when I was like playing it back, I was like, oh fuck, I could do this like hip-hop grimple style part right here what do you mean grimple style dude you not do you know the band grimple no oh sorry i spilled coca-cola on my desk and i was trying to be covert in my operation of grabbing a towel from the linen closet that's right behind me instead of using my pants wow that's pretty nice of you yeah grimple is um Another one of the most important bands to us that is highly influential on this record. And in fact, if you listen to Grimple, uh, they have an album called Grimple Up Your Ass. Um, it, now they've only got like a... They've got like a collection on Spotify. And there's one song, and it's like the... The, the second EP isn't properly named, but when they started out, they're this pop punk band, and um, but they played super fast, mm-hmm. and they had two vocalists that went back and forth, and just like, <laughs> like I mean, if you hear the song "Grimple Up Your Ass," you'll hear so much of what's going on in Key to the City. Mm. Like it's it's really astounding, um, and we were huge, huge Grimple fans, and then they put out this split with this band logical nonsense and um so grimple is from new mexico i don't think that they ever did anything really um but influenced the shit out of a ton of people yeah and so yeah they've got this album called remember and the the really cool song there's a song called laid back i think it's laid back 
it's supposed to be called Crucified. It's it's like they've misnamed all the songs on um on Spotify. Uh-huh. So it's it's a little bit annoying to me, but hold on. Yeah. The one that the one that's named Laid Back on Spotify mm-hmm. is when they switched to like being more of like a metal band. And that song is maybe my favorite Grimple song, but Grimple Up Your Ass, everything from the original Grimple album, unbelievable, hugely influential on O'Calcutta. And you'll hear it, there's not a lot of... If you wonder what the, like, the fucking missing link is between like Bad Religion and like Screeching Weasel and the Lawrence Arms mm-hmm. is... Or Jawbreaker, or whatever, whoever you want to say, mm-hmm. it's Grimple. Like when you hear that, you'll be like, "Oh, this is where the Lawrence Arms comes from," because it's huh. like it just like gave this like crazy permission to do like, you know, like screeching weasel type riffs, but then mm-hmm. was like, kind of. It's 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 really Grimple's a remarkable band. You guys should all listen to Grimple. Good lesson. Um... I also just when we get to drown in these streams till I die. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that if you listen to it, <laughs> that's a total Guns N' Roses thing. Um, because I go till I die. Yeah. Like it never stops. Uh huh. Like what Chris goes. Yeah, I go, till I die, till I die. And then I go, yeah, but I sing the whole time through. So it's like a total like tribute to Axl Rose right there. Fucking awesome. That also, I think that that move alone is maybe where I take in a lot of this idea of like, this is this key to the city thing is like, throw me a fucking parade because that. The way you do that shit, it's like, you gotta have some balls, because it feels fucking goofy, and it feels like there's just a confidence in there that is, it's very earned, but you you can't, you can't just claim it. You can. Um, you just got to be ready. You got to be ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. uh, like, and and the thing is, like, if you like, it depends on where you claim it from, too. You know, like, we, dude. If, and again, I can't stress enough that was not the intentionality of this song. But were that to have been the intentionality of this song, we could have still come at this as the Lawrence Arms in two thousand five when we were writing this. And that's like, a word? And then it's like, yep, here's our fucking receipts, motherfucker. Yep, Mm -hmm. absolutely. However, um, if like the Alkaline Trio had done that at that time, people would have been like, oh, word, you think you're the best? (laughs) You know, but just because they they had already received so many accolades and they were so beloved Mm -hmm. that to like... To come like that, it's like it's not like in hip hop where it's like I'm the best. It's like you gotta kind of be an underdog and be the worst, 
to right. say you're the best in punk rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, definitely. Like, and um, and and again, that's not even what we were saying. But I do like your interpretation of it a lot more than I like my interpretation of it. And um, and 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 again, you can you can you can you can claim whatever the fuck you want. And for those of you out there listening who are in a band, I recommend we've talked about this before on this podcast, striving to be the absolute best. Your competition should be the very best band you can think of. You should strive to be better than them. And you should probably never quite feel like you get there, but then start telling people you're the best band in the world Mm -hmm. through your actions, not your words. Um, Because, I don't know, (laughs) we saw Jack White walking around and in Detroit in uh, the, the shelter and he's just like we didn't know who he was but I mean he's pretty hard not to recognize when you see him again because uh, <laughs> um, he's like 6'6 six, six and made out of paper mache mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> dressed like an extra in the Nightmare Before Christmas and so uh, so we're like you know, he, and he's just like talking to these chicks. He's like, "Yeah, no, I've started this band with Meg. It's really important. We're gonna be like, we're gonna change everything. We're gonna break all the rules, and it's gonna revolutionize music." And we're just like, "Whoever this fucking guy is, no, it's not." You know, <laughs> and um, I will say, he made a video out of Legos for like. A thousand dollars that got played alongside like Lady Gaga and Madonna and shit and <laughs> then became number one and it's like, Yep, nope, he was right. He did. Yeah. He did. You gotta kinda believe in it. And um I don't know. I that wasn't what we were doing and that was very much what Jack White was doing, but uh mm-hmm. maybe you should aim a little I mean Jack White's probably doesn't even have to do a podcast right now, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, because he just goes into his uh, his booth and then he records a song on a gramophone, um, which is we're the best podcast in the fucking world. And I think I know one day you and me on that gramophone recording. Oh, and then the people are gonna people are gonna buy it, and then we're gonna have a we're gonna have our own record store. But it's going to be a podcast store. You buy podcasts. It's going to be fucking awesome. Wait, we'll call it. Like we'll hell, call it. Hell on earth. We'll call it. I didn't even know what you were talking about until you got to the record store of podcasts. <laughs> and now I'm like, um, yeah, I, I think that I've always just identified with the fact that this is a band that really it came out with a we're the best, and you fucking you got to. You gotta deal with it, and and as somebody from New Jersey, um, I think I've always identified with that energy too, because we're always like sort of answering to the outside perception, but also like gleaning from it. Like, where I don't know if you've seen the documentary Action Park that just came out. Um, any of no, y'all? I've, I've, I know, I know all about it. I've been following the like websites about that fucking park forever. It's awesome. really good. Chris Gethard ends up being the star in it. Um, and 
he he does it he does it so well where it's just like we're the absolute like worst but we're the best you all think that we're terrible well we're gonna show you how terrible we can be in new jersey and uh it's gonna be glorious well that's yeah i mean I like anything that has to do with kids being reckless and harming themselves for fun. Um, that you know, as long as nobody dies, which I know some people died, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, really having a hard time staying in the lane today, Tim. Um, what can you do? I, I, I literally can't do anything. Um, I ain't here to remember, I ain't here to break down. Is that what you say? Yeah, um, I love the way that that drops out. Tell me about how you uh, found the the spot where you have where it's it sounds like you're in a cavern. So I used a weird chord there. I go to the it's not that weird of a chord, but it's a D in the key of C, and it's uh. A little out there for like what I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I do it in in uh, Jumping the Shark, also I use that same sort of relative key or relative chord in the key of E there. I mean, I do it a lot now, but when it, I hear the breakdown, and mm-hmm. it, it's just like, it just gives it a sort of like a little bit of an off balance, um, considering that we like work so much in the very major structure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like when you do do something like that, it fucks with those super major structure melodies, you know, and it, and it, and it kind of pushes them. And mm-hmm. so I was like, we can't play through this, but it's not like really ripe for like cymbal crashes. What if we pump the guitar and the bass, then we get this like chorus of people that are in here. We have them sing the backing vocals from like way far away. And then when the last chorus comes in, it'll like come in like bombastically, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that was sort of the idea was to figure out how to, (laughs) and I mean, I'm literally talking about using like, what is it like a, a seventh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's not like it's not it's not a terribly obscure chord in the in, in the uh, key, but that's how like bad we are at this, or how just like I guess stuck in the not stuck in the uh, dedicated to the fundamental base nature of mm-hmm. uh, three chord punk that we that our sound is. That using that required using that chord as normal as it is required like a special treatment for, for the entire part, uh, and uh, and uh, that was just a thought that came to our heads in the practice space. And then when everybody showed up there, we were like, "Oh, everybody could sing this, and it could have this like sort of like weird like." kind of uh fairy tale of new york kind of like you, you know yeah distant chorus kind of vibe to mm-hmm. it and that would be that would be dope and so uh so we did it and that's 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 how it turned out but yeah that part is 
every time we get there, I think that all three of us go, why'd you, why'd you put this in here? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is like, sort of like the beating heart of the whole thing mm-hmm. ultimately. So I don't know. Um, you say gimme so many times. Yeah, and so in the last in the last chorus, uh-huh. this is the one where we got the um uh the the, the Greek chorus of our like our friends in there uh-huh. singing with us. And so we were singing it and I told I remember saying to Chris and Neil, I was like, They'll do the gimmies and we go gimme the gimme the gimme the gimme the the second time through. Yeah. So you can kind of hear that if you if you listen. Totally. So like you know, the first time it's like, give me, 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 give me the key to the city. Give me the, give me the, give me the, give me the, give me the key to the city, right? But they're still going, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, whatever. But so I don't know. It's a little interesting factoid. Yeah, I feel like I knew that, but I didn't know that. Wow. Um, old dogs never die. This is, uh, what I was referring to with the end part. Um, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this song? Well, so there's a band called Small Dog Frenzy mm-hmm. from, uh, Colorado. And they were, uh, I was in Slapstick. Maybe I was in the Broadways. Uh, I can't remember. It was a long time ago regardless. And I was, we stayed at this dude's place. He was in a band called Tie Fighter, and he was also the um, promoter of the show. Tie Fighter didn't play. Tie Fighter was definitely too popular to play with us at the time. Um, the dude had like, you know, like giant like Star Wars Lego men and shit around his house and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He did. He he was not a bad guy. He was very nice to us. He had very nice tattoos. Actually, I think it was slapstick because I believe I got tattooed that very day. I got this dope cactus. Here, look, I'll show you. See the cactus right there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's a pretty dope cactus. Yeah, it's a really good cactus. Um, And uh, someone did some good work around that. Yeah. And uh, no. That's also not true, um, but uh, the no, not, um, I mean around it. That's that's what I'm saying. Okay, all right. All <laughs> yeah, right. No, the whole thing is terrible, um, <laughs> but uh, but um, he he was like, "You guys ever hear Small Dog Frenzy?" Mm-hmm. Like, no. And he played us the seven inch, and it was like unbelievable. And there's so there's this. I I think I maybe bought it off him at the time because mm-hmm. they were from Colorado, small dog frenzy. And this was in Kansas city, which is like neighboring States. And, uh, anyway, or maybe I just found it somewhere. I who cares? But, uh, the salient point is like, I got home and I played it for Chris. So it must've not been on a Broadway tour. It was definitely slapstick tour. I guess I've already determined that. And, uh, we were like, this is the shit. This mm-hmm. this is so cool. And they kind of are like a more like they definitely are like spirit they're Eskimo brothers with uh D four. Sure. To to put it 
simply and crassly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and they had this song called Big Time Sunshine that, if you listen to, is Old Dogs Never Die Exactly. Uh-huh. I mean, too, like, as much more than Requiem Revisited is Soldier's Requiem. Wow. Um, and so when I can't remember which song came first, but I do remember there was a certain point where we were like, can we do this? And then we were both like, eh, no one's going to hear this anyway. I mean, like, nobody, <laughs> nobody listens to our band. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever the fuck we want. You know? And it's like, who's going to come after us? Fucking Naked Raygun and Small Dog Frenzy? Yeah. Guys, we're all like fucking dental hygienists right now, you know? <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, this song has like a really special place in our heart. I mean, they're, they're name checked in the title mm-hmm. of the song, Old Dogs Never Die. And they're also one of the bands we thank. You know, they, like our thank you list is very short on this record, and it only specifically mentions bands that we like sample or whatever yeah sample i guess would be probably the most <laughs> accurate way to put it <laughs> in these particular terms you know, ray guns small dog frenzy no means no guns guns and roses and judy bloom mm-hmm. um we left out grimple that's yeah terrible absolute crime Worse than the, worse than the theft that exists on this record. It's, um, yeah. All right. Well, that kind of reframes it uh, in a cool way. I, this song, I like this song. It's I think just sort of in the way that Beyond the Embarrassing Style exists, where it's just something's got to go in that spot. You can't go from Key to the City to like a record player. I don't think. Um, and yeah, this song I like this song. I love it. I do like the end part a lot though, because if it's such a left turn. Well, that's that's the part that's the Lawrence Arms. It's uh-huh. kind of like the it's kind of like the bridge and the outro of um, Requiem Revisited, which is like that's when the Lawrence Arms comes out mm-hmm. of of this um, sort of box of. Um, uh, uh, plagiarism that we've put ourselves in for for this particular song. It's like, where's the the part that's uniquely us going to shine through? Mm-hmm. And in Requiem Revisited, it's the bridge and the outro, and here it's the outro. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this I mean, this outro is terrific, and it's just like I don't know. It's cool because it's like this song was a song that was very. I mean. I'm sure it's on Spotify. You guys can all listen to it and you'll listen to it and you'll go, holy fucking shit. This is the exact same song. Um, and, uh, but ours is cooler. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Like a record player, the proper, uh, closing track to this record, um, has to be, one of the most beloved songs of yours. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I love this song. 
Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite ones. If I'm playing with the band to play, I don't like to play it acoustically because it's, it's a little bit athletic for an acoustic performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always kind of feel disingenuous, like screaming and like trying to like pack all these words into the like the measures or whatever. Um, although it, it turns out fine usually, um, but. Um, this one was when we play live. This is my favorite song to play. Yeah, f- for sure, it's my favorite Lawrence Arm song to play live. Every every time, um, and uh, I was in the shower, and I was. I don't know. I think. I have this memory and it doesn't make a lot of sense because by the time that we did this, I don't think we were getting a lot of comparisons to Jawbreaker anymore because we'd kind of like that. Well, they were kind of out of the public eye for long enough and mm-hmm. we had kind of like uh, shows that we were interested in ripping off everyone, uh, not, <laughs> you know, enough mm-hmm. that, but I felt like I was standing in the shower and I was kind of stewing about somebody making a comparison that we're just like a jawbreaker ripoff band. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was like, man, I'm like a record player. I keep going around with a needle in my arm, making someone else's. I'm like a record player. I keep going. Holy shit. I got out. I didn't even dry myself off. Buck naked. Um, Ran to get my guitar, uh-huh. what, guitar on my wet lap. <laughs> fucking figured out the chords to that like melody, mm-hmm. and then wrote the song in like two minutes. Um, this that never happens to me. Yeah, the, and this was again one of the first ones I wrote before I broke my knee. But but yeah, it's very um, very exciting. Uh, I, I was a little bit, and, and this was another one that I was like, I don't know, is this is this gonna work? It's kind of got like a, uh, it's a commercial break at Wrigley Field kind of vibe to it, <laughs> you know. But um, it's a little, it's got a little yacht rock vibe to it. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's a cool song, um, and. I mean, I, I definitely like channel fucking Steven Tyler from Aerosmith on this song. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, you do. Yeah. There's trouble on the way. <laughs> <laughs> you best believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, dude, that was Chris's shit when he was a kid. He was like fucking huge Aerosmith fan. Yeah? He... If if he ever listens to this, he's gonna be like, "You mother." <laughs> but he had all the Aerosmith cassettes, and like, I used to like the Aerosmith singles. I guess just fine, you know. Like, sure. I think "What It Takes" is a great song, um, honestly, and I think "Angel" is a great song. And when I was a little kid, I just was very much able to take it all in as like, "This is what the grist mill is feeding me," and so I will enjoy it as rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those two songs have survived past that, but um, Chris and I don't think he was actually a fan. It's like I had all the Led Zeppelin tapes, 
but I didn't like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. it's just like I, I just decided to collect them because I was a little kid and I thought that like Led Zeppelin would be a cool thing to identify myself with. Mm-hmm. Like when I was like eight or whatever and uh, nine. And then Chris, I think, did the same thing with Aerosmith. But I don't think he was a huge Aerosmith fan, like for real. Mm-hmm. You know? I had. But anyway. There's enough Aerosmith in our lives that I could go, there's trouble along the way. <laughs> you best believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had the, uh, I don't want to miss a thing, CD single. And uh, it had, I don't want to miss a thing, the radio version. I don't want to miss a thing, the extended version. And then the animal cracker scene from Armageddon. Do you remember when Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler are out in a field somewhere and they're eating animal crackers and then they start talking about how they're getting ready to bone down? That was track three on the I Don't Want to Miss a Thing CD single that I got at Coconuts. Dude, I got uh, with the coconuts on diversity in Sheffield. No, it's the coconut, coconuts at the uh, Bridgewater Mall in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Oh, well, not as cool because the coconuts on diversity in Sheffield is where I got my dad's Vietnam shirt signed by. His GI Vietnam shirt. You've seen me wear it before. It says mm-hmm. Kelly. I, I wear it in a lot of promo photos and stuff. By all the members of Living Color. Whoa. Yeah. That's fucking cool. <laughs> I think the whole thing becomes cool now that they're like not famous and I'm in a band that's still around. <laughs> it becomes like a lot more interesting. <laughs> At the time, people were like, the shirt's an antique. It's, you know, it's part of history. Mm-hmm. You just let Negro musicians sign it. I'm like, no, no, those guys are awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and now, now who's the person that would ruin something by signing it? It's me. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're giving people mustaches. Um, uh, my, my my dad interviewed uh, Aerosmith a couple times on his radio show when he went to Indiana University, said that uh, they are very nice people. That was in 1975. I, I don't know if that's all still true, but... Well, we used to be friendly with Joey Kramer's son. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cosmo uh, Kramer. No, 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 no. He's got that Boston racism thing down, but it's not the same guy. Uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're talking about um, God damn it, I can't remember his name, and that's so, so shitty because he was a good bud. I mean, well, he wasn't like a good bud. I didn't have his number in my cell phone or anything, but um, and you were an early adopter of cell phones. That's true. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, but he was like you know Tommy Tommy Kramer or whatever the fuck his name was. Mm-hmm. He was friends with the Big D guys who are from Boston. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a really nice kid. I mean, I, so I don't know shit about Aerosmith. You know, used to bang Liv Tyler a little bit. Um, used to also bang Joe Perry a little bit. Um, well, he used to bang me, let's be honest. Right. Um, right. Uh, 
I got a buddy who works with him in that like Hollywood vampires band, and they don't really say anything too bad about him. Um, and then I know Joey Kramer's son. And then there's other guys in that band whose names I would never know if you held a gun to my head. Those are probably the nicest ones. You'd imagine, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or the fucking shittiest, most like chip on their shoulder motherfuckers of all. Oh, time. yeah. Recognize me, damn it. I'm the second guitarist in Aerosmith. I've been in the band since the fucking beginning. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So this, uh, this is another song that is such a fucking Hennessy show. Cause every, every time he gets a little bit of space, like going into that chorus, he's just got the most fun fills. Oh, he's, he kills it in this song, man. He's, uh, I mean, he's the best. There's a reason people chant his name during our shows. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely one of the, one of his like times to shine. And, um, yeah, man. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I, I hear this song. I, I It just makes me smile, man. It's just, like, such a fun song. It's, like, it's the song I wrote. is like, a love song to Chris and Neil from me, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it's uh, everybody that, like, comes out to our shows and listens, you know? And it's, like, um, it's sort of in a weird way. Um, the... What's that word? Apotheosis? of jumping the shark mm-hmm. right where it's like i'm not going back again because i'm stuck out here or whatever and then this is like yo i don't think i'm ever going home yeah it's like it's the this is more like the night before <laughs> or whatever yeah totally um there's something really really special um i think in the like that come down moment before the first chorus of just it's the only game that i know how to play um it's i think that it's something that like it's so autobiographical everybody who's listening to this record knows like the circumstances of this record knows where you're coming from here's that line and it's like yo yeah because you stepped up your fucking game on this whole record and I mean, not to get too far into, like, the last 12 months of my life, but this is, um, doing this shit is, I think, my own version of that, where I spent some time in between jobs, and I was trying to, like, figure out what the fuck should I be doing, and the moment I started thinking about doing podcasts for a living... I was just like, shit, I don't even know how to, like, talk to somebody at a real job. Like, I don't know how to get a conversation started, but I know how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, buddy, you do a great job. And um, I think you're you're a wonderful podcaster. Thanks. And uh, you're a wonderful interview. I think you're the first best interviewer on this entire show, Um, which is saying a lot, considering that I interviewed tim brown yesterday patreon.com slash better sandwich (laughs) but um yeah you know there's i think there's a thing in that where like it's sort of a little bit of like a tip of the hat to like all the fucking people that are sort of lifers and like in particular all the people that are kind of lifers that maybe don't (laughs) 
have the bizarre, um, impossible to understand trajectory of the Lawrence Arms. Mm -hmm. Like all the people that were in like the middling bands that we were touring with for a long time that now suddenly we get to keep doing this and, you know, they might do it like, you know, less than we do. They still can. I don't. I don't know how to say this. That's not like a dick. It, it sounds like I'm, I'm like getting into like dick territory, Just, and I, I don't. I don't want to. Um, what I mean is like, I I don't think any of us expected this. Mm-hmm. You know, like this when this was written, this was written from a perspective of like, well, I'll be at the fucking Jiffy Lube in the next like couple months here. You know, because this is the only game I know how to play. Yeah. Um, you know, and so like I see and like I remember seeing and this is a bad example because this band is still like they actually have a, a great trajectory that's equally bizarre. But uh, Nuno from Wilhelm Scream, uh-huh. I will never I will never forget. He came out to one of our shows and we played this song and he's actually hit me up recently on uh, like just like a text and just out of the blue been like yo that like a record player song still gets me yeah you know and then and it's like in that second verse when it goes into i don't need no doctor and then neil starts with the tambourine Mm -hmm. and i just like look over and i see nuno just like doing the shaker like at this at this show and we we like toured with them forever and ever and ever you know and so I don't know when you tour the band for a really, really long time. There's a certain point where you understand that they're not going to be standing at the side of the stage anymore. Yeah, you know, because sure. <laughs> uh-huh. I've seen your show so many times, <laughs> and we've done so many tours with Wilhelm Scream that it's like just the fact that he like came to see. us. I mean, I understand that he came to see us because like we're buds, and like I love those dudes. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he was like standing on the side of the stage and even like doing air tambourine. Uh, I was like, yo. And again, they're not a good example of this because they still have, like, I think a good career. Um, but, like, that was written for all of us, like, sinking into the abyss at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, let's not forget that this was 2005 and people who were doing something very particular were getting real famous. People who are doing what you're doing, there's only so much room at the top. Like you, I feel like this record is really addressing the fact that you are, from an outside perspective, kind of a B-level fat records band. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, this, this, I mean, you know, and you, when you talk about the key to the city and like what that song is about and you're like, Hey, okay, this is a song about like, Hey, we've arrived. We're the best man in Chicago. And I say, no, we're not. Uh, well, no, we are. I am sorry. I misspoke. Um, of course we are. But, uh, when, when, when I said that was not the intent it was not the intent of that specific song so much as that was the intent of this entire album. And it wasn't Chicago. It was fuck all of you, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was, and that was the idea behind this record. Like we made this record and we ended it with 
this fucking song that was about the brotherhood that we share as a trio, as, as you know, as a five piece with our with our road crew, you know, um, us and our road crew. And then we closed it out with a complete condemnation of <laughs> any of that fucking like corporate bullshit that anybody that thinks they might possibly be cooler than us has ever done. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, you know, so like there was a very much. I don't want to say it was like a manifesto or anything like that because it wasn't that well thought out. But like, there was an attitude that was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, we're the best goddamn punk band in the world." And you know what? Here's here's the record that proves it. You over there saying you're the best punk band in the world, blow me. You over there also, you know, stand in line behind this fucking band over here, and uh, you know, and then all you fucking old men that are telling me that you guys are the best punk band in the world and I need to, like, fucking stand in line to blow you. Uh, sorry, no. No, thank you. You know, and I mean, like, are we the best punk band in the world? Yes. Um, <laughs> do I mean that? Of course I do. Uh, <laughs> damn, I'm aware that this sounds, like, totally shitty. Oh, yeah. And there, there, there are other best punk bands in the world that are coming up right now that are like destined to supersede us and take our spot and make us look like old ineffectual dinosaurs someday. And, uh, you know, I look forward to that. That's the beauty of punk rock. And so like, I don't like, it's very hard to say, I don't want to sound ego driven after what I just said, but like the, the truth is this was just an exercise, like everything else mm-hmm. in terms of like getting the best out of ourselves you know, getting the best of, of us out of us. I look forward to being shown up by like the Menzingers and Pop. Like they, they do, like they, they kill these days. You know, like those those bands. It's like I'm hard pressed to be like. Listen, I mean, there's no way that we're headlining over either of those bands anymore. But if we were going to, I'd be like, absolutely not. We'll play before them or not at all. You know, so it's like. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a dumbass. I know my fucking limits. Two of my favorite memories uh related to what you just said. And one of them was the tenth anniversary show. Um going up to the metro, seeing the Menzingers, and being like, Well, this is a very clear statement about how things are gonna go right after tonight. It's like, this is the fucking future right here. And they are going to be taking over sometime soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other one was fucking at the subterranean seeing the Menzingers. Uh, It's a great, great tour. Fake problems, restoration, and Captain We're Sinking. And then watching, uh, I think it was you and Neil play uh, Are You There, Margaret? Oh, yeah. That was with... fun. Well, Neil played it, and then I just came in at the end. Oh, okay. Just for the yeah, last yeah. Um, But, yeah, I, I think it's like, it's that knowing of like, on both sides of, of us, it, it's going to be, you know. It's going to be someone that's saying, like, uh-uh, uh-uh, ain't like it was. 
you might be something, but you're not you're not where I was. And it's like shove off. Yeah. Shove off. Oh totally. But then making sure that you don't become that yourself. Yeah. I mean, you you know, the thing is that yeah, there's um if you can't have your mind blown by the stuff that's coming out, then you're just really wasting my time. You know, like mm-hmm. like I, you, you're done growing. You you know, what are you what are you what are you eating for nutrients? Your old albums? Ooh. Right. Cool. Yeah. You know. Um I don't know what's on the fucking jukebox of Handsome Dick in the Manitoba's fucking bar or whatever, but like <laughs> I guarantee it's not the Menzingers. Uh that place closed down. I actually read about it closing down, but Well uh, but but you know, you get my idea. Like I do. It's like if you're not if you're not looking to the future, you're stuck in the past. And if you're somebody that creates anything, it's very easy to get sort of myopic and like timestamp your own legacy as something that's like much more important than it is. When in reality, you're just like part of like a double helix that is continuous and keep, keeps going and that you are only a building block of. And the stuff that came mm-hmm. after you is just as important as the stuff that came before you. And to fail to realize that is to die as an artist, you know? And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to, like, fucking be, like, Green Day and listen to, like, some sort of, like, bullshit indie rock band and be like, oh, well, that's what the kids like these days. And it's like, well, you're, no, 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 You're Green Day. You've mm-hmm. got the stadium crowd. You should not be... Trying to ape this sound of people that play at like the metro, like, like like people like what you do already, but yeah, to me that's being like very out of touch. It's not like staying with like, and I also don't believe necessarily in like the zeitgeist or whatever. I mean, you know, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time, Tim, but it's really hard to to get at what the important lesson here is, it's like, understand the future, listen to it, appreciate it, recognize that you're part of it. Time is a flat circle. High school girls stay the same age. You keep getting older. Um, other Matthew McConaughey things. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, but like, There's no way there's no way to like keep what you're doing cool if all you're doing is like following the, the trends of what like the young people are doing or whatever. But there's mm-hmm. also no way to stay cool if you don't know what that shit is. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's it's that easy. I mean it's don't we all just want to moderate for a the a great artist? <laughs> You know, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, moderate, and uh, and we can try and figure out which one is uh, working at uh, the lowest capacity of uh, brain function. I think one of the things ab- about this song it's it's a very small part, but I think it's probably the most important of the song, and it's. Without all you, I'd 
be even lower down. You know what I want to say, but I can't get it out. You could have just gone to that last chorus, but just the way that it dips down and the bass sounds fucking so good. I know that that's like the bass tone that's like there throughout the record, but I think in that moment, it's like so, so perfect. And yeah, I, I feel like there is like, for as confident as this record is, it's a real, real statement that's just like, I can only do this with these two around me. Yeah, I mean, well, you know what I would want to say that I can't get out, right, Tim? Tell me. No, you tell me. I don't know. I love you. That's all. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even yeah. No, it, that that's this isn't gonna pick up great on um audio, but I got a lot of people that I'm I think I'm gonna end up calling after this podcast. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Um Are you you're you're not fucking with me, are you? It's obviously the only thing it could be. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really really lovely thing. Yeah, man. I thought it was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I've had a little more time to reconcile this than you, so I'll give you a second. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, yeah, that's the idea. Oh, well, it's, it's just, a, it's such a triumph. And, man, love, huh? Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Love! That's the answer! Yeah, yeah. Um, you ever think what your career would be like without this record? Mm. Nah, man. Um, I never have. It's kind of like the way I never think of like what my life would be like if I had been born with no feet. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, yes, there's a chance that would have happened and that would suck bad. (laughs) It would be worse than the life I have now. But, like, uh, I feel like this record was, it's fucked up because we haven't done very much since then. I mean, I've put out a lot of records since this record, Mm -hmm. personally. I feel like this is the first record. Like, to me, this is, like, the beginning of, like, what I think of as my career these days, you know? Mm -hmm. Um I guess maybe greatest story. I I, I could throw that in there, but like this is just such a. We worked towards this for so long, and then we finally like figured out how to do it, and then we figured out that we could do whatever we wanted, and it was 
it was like that moment where like you know the kids run back and break the mean old candy store owner's kneecaps and tie him to the chair and then all of a sudden they've got a whole candy store to themselves uh you know the old trope mm-hmm. um and uh and like that uh so it's a, it's just such a yeah what what if we'd never done this i feel like that there's something like this that would have been done i mean i don't know would somebody else have made this record i don't know i've never thought about it before i think that what what i was getting at is the fact that this record comes along and it it reaffirms what you know it reaffirms what your base at, at the time knows which is that you're the best band in the world um and i think that this is also the record that um, if this one hadn't have come along, apathy and exhaustion, greatest story, the way that those are are viewed now is going to be completely different. It's like this record really just elevated the entire catalog. Um, oh, for sure, for sure. This this record gave retroactive credence to the albums we'd put out before. Because all mm-hmm. of a sudden people were like, oh, these dudes, they do have a point of view and they do know what they're saying. And maybe the shit that they were doing earlier that I thought was bullshit before, maybe it's not such bullshit after all. Mm-hmm. You know, so for sure. It it had a huge impact. I mean, um, without it, I don't know. I think I'd... I don't, I, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. It's it had such a huge influence on my life that it's even more than like hey what if i never got married it's like i could see how that would go because i remember like being single and you know like cruising around like a miserable dickhead doing whatever but like Uh you know i probably wouldn't have like sheets on my bed and stuff like that like i i I, you know I, i could see that like concrete difference yeah, the linen closet. It's nice. awesome. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. But without <laughs> But this record was just such a natural part of my um output and of our output and our like communal output as a as a team and something that we'd been building towards. I can't imagine us not doing it for one thing. And mm-hmm. I mean like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'd I'd probably be that that Jiffy Lube I was talking about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, it just doesn't seem like luck to me. I mean, like the part where people liked it was luck, but the part where the record exists is just like the record was always going to exist. I think that's 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 the part of this that's like that makes the question like sticky to me. Mm-hmm. Is like the record was always going to exist, like mm-hmm. if. What if people hadn't liked this record? Everything would have gone exactly the same. Except for our shows wouldn't be as big as they are. Yeah. You know? For sure. I got I, I have so many like personal ties to it. Um came out my freshman year of college. I met most of my like uh some of the friends that are, are closest to me now are, are people that I met during that time. And I think that this was one of the records that really a lot of us all had in common. 
um, that had come out at that time. It's like most of the other stuff was like from earlier high school. And so this was a record that I think really brought a lot of people in what would become a tight circle for me together. And it was also um, made a lot of trips up to the city to uh, to see your band in the years that followed and seeing the changes from, you know, seeing you at the old bottom lounge uh, in 2003 compared to what I was seeing in 2007 was just like, fuck, you know, it's, I, I think that you learn when it comes to like punk rock, you learn that, um, you know, the, the journey, the, like the, you know, the journey from like bottom to the top, the top looks a little bit different, but headlining the Metro and selling it out is the fucking top in the circles that I run. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, what's well, the same thing. It's like, you know, I was just like looking back at like some old fireside flyers and I like see these bands or even if I think about a band like 15 or something like that, that's like, even with like the benefit of like time and everything, like probably never had like an impact. Like my dumb band has had on things, you know, whether, mm -hmm. Whether I think that that's fair or not, it's just like I still have such reverence for that stuff that was such mm -hmm. a big deal to me when I was younger. Um, and I, I know I will have that same reverence for stuff that's big to me now as I get older. And, you know, I become the president. I'll still love Donald Trump. You know, for example, uh, like, you, you know, like you see you, the things that you... And I'm even more of a, like a crazy dictate, dictatorial goon, <laughs> even more overt in my paramilitary leanings. You know, like it, it doesn't matter how many people you kill versus how many people they killed. You still always look at your heroes as heroes, you know, and, and mm -hmm. like um, it's and I, Sorry, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or anything like that, but like, um, you know, it's like Small Dog Frenzy is still a very important band to me. Uh, I don't know yeah. that they ever played to more than like 10 people ever, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but if I met those guys, uh, I can guarantee you that I would be freaking out and they wouldn't be, uh, <laughs> you know? So, well, I tell you what. Every single week, I say, about to get on a fucking phone call with Brandon Kelly. We're going to talk about his songs. It's going to be cool. Goddamn right. Um, this has been another, uh, another great treat for me. We thank you all for uh, joining us. Thank you, Brendan, uh, for sharing yourself um every week and we have a patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich if you if you're if you're a po boy you're a pilgrim you're a hero you're a hoagie join us over at club sandwich patreon.com slash better sandwich i came up with that shit on the fly dude it was great 
It was great. Nice. You know, um, Poe Boy would be a great name for the people that like get awarded Patreon. Uh, you know, because yeah. they're too poor to actually. Well, I mean, I'm just spitballing here. You're you're the you're the you're the marketing guy. Go ahead. <laughs> Subscribe uh, to this podcast and uh, follow us. Tell your friends. We'll be back next week with oh fuck. What should we talk about next week? We haven't done that in a long time. That's yeah, what, that yeah. was the whole gimmick at the beginning. What are we going to talk about next week? Um. Uh, well, first thing that comes to my mind is gather up the chaps because that is a uh, an album that is still on people's minds, and uh, mm-hmm. you know you can. It's got a leather daddy on the cover for fuck's sakes. Hell yeah. We'll be talking about that next week. And then on Patreon, we're going to have some conversations about the bonus tracks from this album, including including the one that you've all been asking about that isn't necessarily a bonus track. It's just a Lawrence Armstrong that disappeared one day. Either way, we'll be back on the feed here next week. We'll see you then. Thanks, Bubba. Bye, everybody.